It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Tuesday, April 12th. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. When the Sitka Assembly meets tonight, it will consider approving the sale agreement for the former Sitka Community Hospital building and surrounding land. The Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, or SEARCH, currently leases the building for its long-term care unit, but signaled interest in purchasing the building in late 2020. In last year's municipal election, roughly two-thirds of Sitka voters cast ballots in support of the $8.25 million sale to search. The Assembly ultimately authorized a sale on a 6-to-1 vote. Now six months later, the group will review the sale agreement and could go behind closed doors in an executive session to discuss it. The Sitka Sound Sacro herring fishery closed for the season on Sunday after catching more than 26,000 tons of herring. Saners fish nearly every day for over two weeks, and beginning on April 6, the fishery was opening daily, finally closing at 6 p.m. on April 10th. Over that time, the commercial fleet harvested more than half of the record guideline harvest level set by the State Department of Fish and Game. Fish and Game staff continued to spot herring spawn during aerial surveys on Sunday. In a release on Sunday evening, they reported active spawning around the Siganaka Islands, Long Island, Pavarotny Point, Redoubt Bay, Hot Springs Bay, Big Bay, President's Bay, and between First and Second Narrows. To date, they've observed 73 miles of herring spawn in and around Sitka. The Cultural and Heritage Tourism Conference wrapped up in Sitka at the end of March. The three-day event focused on helping tribal communities navigate an expected rebound in tourism following the pandemic. KCAW's Tosh Kimmel reports. With a record-breaking number of cruise passengers expected in Sitka this summer, the benefit to the indigenous community remains an open question. A panel discussion with Alan Marine, Celebrity Cruises, and John Hall's Alaska explored some of the possibilities. Elizabeth Hall of John Hall's Alaska said that the appetite for cultural tourism is only growing. One of the things that my father built his business on was promoting, like I said, the real Alaska, and that includes the people of Alaska. I think folks are open to traveling with us because they know that they're going to have that experience up here. We are starting to see that it's becoming more of a focus and the culture is definitely part of it. It's becoming, it's moving up on the list. Perhaps the most repeated phrase from Wednesday's panel was authentic, with panelists continually invoking the idea of small-scale, real Alaskan experiences. While large-scale cruise travel continues to be an economic boon for small Southeast communities, Zach Kirkpatrick from Allen Marine suggested that more and more travelers are in the market for smaller, more culturally focused travel experiences. Just kind of getting a little look behind the curtain of the lifestyle. So for example, salmon harvest and just even seeing like the smoking process or the drying process and just maybe it's showing um, you know, older traditional kinds of um, salmon harvest or traps. All of us as Southeast Alaskans, it can be second nature. And like, really, people want to hear about that? They do. It's because if you're from the middle of Los Angeles, that's a whole different ballgame. You've never even heard of some of this stuff. But the panel also considered some pitfalls that may come with growth like that predicted for Sitka this summer. Sitka Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis wanted to find ways to ensure that cultural tourism remained under the control of local communities. He had a warning for the panel. What protections are in place for small communities to prevent exploitation by some of the companies that want to come in? Um, because while a, a small town such as Cake has a lot to offer, 
Um, when, a, when a larger company comes in with lots of money, they can often force their will upon the, the town. So, so how does a town such as Cake and Smaller or, or any uh, town or village really prevent the exploitation of their resources by uh, companies that want to come in? The three-day heritage and cultural tourism conference returned to Sitka this spring after being dark for two years. The event is hosted annually by the Sitka Tribe of Alaska and the Central Council of Clinkett and Haida. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Tosh Kimmel. Of the nearly 50 Alaskans vying to fill the state's House of Representatives seat, only one hails from southeast. As KSDK's Sage Smiley reports, commercial fisherman Otto Florschutz says he figures it's the people's seat, so why shouldn't a small-town commercial fisherman run for Congress? 64-year-old Wrangell fisherman Otto Florschutz was up in Kodiak with his grandkids when Congressman Don Young died. It just crossed my mind. I'd been thinking about it and thinking about it. I came home and, and Christina said, uh, hey, you should run for Don Young's seat. And I said, you know, I've thought about it. So, you know, a lot of, lot of thought and prayer went into it. And I just decided, well, let's do it, you know. Christina is his wife. He says he knows it's a stacked field vying to fill Alaska's sole congressional seat and that getting his name out will be pretty hard made harder because he usually goes by his nickname. You know, my name's Otto, but everybody, most people know me as Ottie. And in the commercial fishing industry, you kind of, you know, it's it's Ottie on the Adeline. They don't even know my last name, you know. So here I am, I've got an unrecognizable nickname or maybe, maybe an unrecognizable first name and a nickname. But that isn't what matters when it comes to serving in government, Florschutz says. It's the people's government, you know. It's it's for the people, by the people, and, and uh, you know, you don't need to be a celebrity. You don't, you know, name recognition helps, but uh, it's, you know, it's the people's government. So I just thought I'd throw my hat in it. It's not his first brush with public service, but Congress would be a larger ballgame. Florschutz has been elected multiple times to Wrangell's Port Commission and has served for decades on Wrangell's Fish and Game Advisory Committee. Florschutz, who is a registered Republican, says there isn't a single issue that pushed him to throw his hat into the ring. He's against abortion and says Alaska's representative should be too, but other than that, he says there aren't a lot of causes or issues he's attached to, other than doing what's best for Alaska. You know, I've always been leery of people that had an issue that they're running on because it, it automatically disenfranchises some, you know, some people that might not agree with that. So I, I'm just a conservative person who lives within my means, and uh, I work hard, commercial fisherman. I'd like to take those values with me and uh, try and apply them on a national level, or at least for the, for the state representing the state of Alaska. Florschutz has toes in a number of southeast commercial fisheries on two vessels, the 47-foot Nephi and 35-foot Lehi. His main focus is halibut, he says, but he also holds troll and gillnet salmon permits and fishes for shrimp and Dungeness crab. And they used to call me the quick change artist up in Pelican because I could be doing one fishery one day and, and another one the next, but that was in my younger days. I'm not quite that energetic these days. He says he's committed to working hard and listening to everyone he represents in Alaska if elected. I don't know of any fisherman that's ever backed away from a job because it was too, they thought it would be too hard, you know, so... I just thought I'd do it and see what happens. However, Florschutz says he won't have much time for campaigning. He's still got to go out fishing. I'll probably be available and in an unavailable and out of cell phone signal and, and, and just relying on people to keep passing my name around is if, if, it, if I get into that top four. Out of the 48 primary candidates for the special congressional election, only the top four from the bimail election in June will advance. 
Alaska voters will then rank those four in order in a special ranked-choice voting contest held in August. It's a new system approved by voters who approved ballot measure 2 last year. Florshut says he won't be soliciting campaign donations, but asks that people pass around his website, which is still being built, so more people can learn about his values. And we'll see if we can just do some grassroots uh, politicking. That was Sage Smiley reporting in Wrangell. For decades, green energy proponents have been trying to harness geothermal energy from an active volcano on Unalaska Island. The 6,000-foot Makushin volcano last erupted in the 1990s, and its molten magma could provide a fuel source for the Aleutian community. KUCB's Theo Greenlee reports the clean energy source is one step closer to fruition. Unalaska is a city of around 4,500 people. That's host to several large fish processing plants and the port of Dutch Harbor. The city has relied exclusively on diesel to power its electrical grid since World War II, but has sought new power sources for decades. Now, the Kowalungan tribe of Unalaska has received more than $2 million in federal dollars to go towards the McCushion Geothermal Project to harness a local source to power the island's community and industry. The power project is being led by Unalaska China Power LLC, a joint partnership between Unalaska's Native Village Corporation and a Fairbanks-based private energy firm. Although the Kowalungan tribe is not a partner with OCCP, the tribe's chief executive, Chris Price, says they're helping out and providing funding. We came up with this proposal to Congress to uh, support the geothermal project, and we were able to, to secure... Uh, with the help of the partnership, uh, $2.5 million to go towards geothermal diversification education programs and to support the McCushion Geothermal Project. The city currently uses around 3 million gallons of diesel per year. The city signed an agreement to purchase about $16 million of electrical energy per year from OCCP in 2020, and that's an amount that would increase each year. Unalaska City Manager Aaron Reinders says the city's ratepayers would be paying slightly more initially, but that would likely change if industrial customers, like seafood processors, were to get on board with purchasing geothermal-produced electricity. The three main processors in Unalaska largely provide their own power by burning diesel generators and have not agreed to any purchase arrangement with the city. But some have written letters of support for the project, at least in principle. Representatives from OCCP did not respond to several requests for comment. Reporting in Unalaska, I'm Theo Greenley. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News. This is